the legacy of Imam Bukhari, that's what it's called. In Bukhara's land, where history's tapestry unfurled, Imam Bukhari, his legacy, his cherished pearls. From Persian, Turkic, or roots yet undefined, he labored and devoted heart, soul, and mind. al jami al-Sahih, his monumental tome, guidance from the heavens, a spiritual home. Accepted by Allah, it found, it, it, it found its sacred place. In every corner, it's recited and embraced. With over a hundred commentaries, profound, scholars delve deep. In its wisdom, they're found. Today, we gather in a joyous, humble quest. Our du'as ascent, in unity we're blessed. Year after year, this noble completion's grace. A journey of faith, a spiritual embrace to earn the title, revered and pure, scholarship's pinnacle, they must endure. Shaykh al-Hadith, a mantle that's well-earned by those who've labored and wisdom discerned. In the footsteps of Imam Bukhari they tread, his legacy alive, their souls are fed. In gratitude and reverence we stand tall, for the wisdom passed down, we heed the call, with praise and prayer, our hearts unite. In the light of Sahih al-Bukhari, we find our flight. <coughs> نرفع درجات من نشاء وفوق كل ذي علم عليم قالوا إن يسرق فقد سرق أقل له من قبل فأسرها يوسف
قد أخذ عليكم موثقا قد أخذ عليكم موثقا من الله ومن قبل ما فرطتم في يوسف فلن أبرح الأرض حتى يأذن لي
تصدق علينا إن الله يجزي المتصدقين قال هل علمتم ما فعلتم بيوسف وأخيه إذ أنتم جاهلون قالوا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Our dear elders, dear community members of this Seven Kings and Ilford community. Alhamdulillah, um, we are here to celebrate a very, very unique opportunity. This is the first time that this has happened. MashaAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هَلْ يَسْتَوِي الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُوا أُولُوا الْأَلْبَابِ وَقَالَ تَعَالَى بَلْ هُوَ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَظِيمُ those who know and those who do not know, they cannot be equal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. I believe that if any community starts to teach the deen, and then they finally reach to a, a stage where Bukhari Sharif, Sahih al-Bukhari is completed, that shows a level of maturity, a level of, a, a, a level of accomplishment. We're not there yet there's a lot of work to do yet but for any community to have a khatam a completion of sahih al-bukhari where this book is completed after years and years of studying it really goes to show that there's been a lot of effort that has been that has been undertaken in that community you don't get to teach sahih al-bukhari when i was in america i was there as an imam for several years and one of the uk scholars had come there and one of the ideas was to start a madrasa where you teach Arabic and advanced uh, fiqh and hadith and tafsir and aqidah and so on and Sahih al-Bukhari. And that student said, you're not going to be very successful until you establish so many maktabs, meaning so many schools for young children, that they go through that system first 
Because without going through that system of the maktab, the, you know, the after-school madrasas that we have and so on, and having a critical mass of students, which means to have so many hundreds of thousands of uh, people who've learned those absolute basics, that then somebody's going to want to go and learn the more advanced studies because this is the end and culmination of advanced studies that we're talking about. But if you don't have the basic studies in any area, you can't have the advanced studies. It's a process, it's a progression, and you can't get to it until you do the more grassroots work. So if you can have Sahih al-Bukhari completion somewhere, it means that the grassroots work has been done to a certain degree. There's always a lot more to do, so we, we're not going to be just satisfied with this, but we're definitely going to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing us to get here. There are many boroughs, if we just take the example of, Eng, uh, of London, not just non, not England, but London itself, and there's multiple boroughs in London, and what would you see as the difference between Redbridge, Newham, Hackney, Tower Hamlets, as compared to, for example, Barnet, Kingston, and other such boroughs? What would be the big difference? The big difference is that in these boroughs, mashallah, there are multiple offerings, multiple educational facilities, all the way from uh, catering to young children, from young children, all the way up to adults, boys and girls. Uh, you may not know this, but one of the graduates from this female class, your first graduating class of uh, 2024 now, I guess, uh, whatever you officially 2023, 24, you call it, is a doctor who is studying here and graduating today along with her daughter-in-law. I, I don't want to have a guess at her age because I don't know what that age is, but I'm, my assumption is that she's going to be over 50, inshallah, right? <laughs> My assumption is she's over 50, but she is studying in the same class as her daughter-in-law. MashaAllah. That's hopefully one happy mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship at least. We need a lot more than that. Sorry? Allahu Akbar. Uh, you don't have to tell us the age, but that's... So it's uh, Dr. Saab, our, uh, the, who's, who's, camp, who's uh, finishing. She is uh, Javed Saab's wife. MashaAllah, honored to meet you. Alhamdulillah. So it's his wife and his daughter-in-law that are studying in the same class. That's a really wonderful example. I think that might be a first, I'm not sure. So it just goes to show the maturity. So in these areas, there are educational classes all the way from a young age to adults. Boys and girls, men and women, teenagers, everything. And this is still a lot more we can do. So we're not saying that this is the end of it. But why are these areas different from other areas where everything is just so easily available and accessible? The reason is that our earliest generation, they sacrificed their children to go and study somewhere. They went, they, their, their children who were born in the UK, a lot of the time they sent them to madrasas, a lot of the times abroad, for several years to go and study, to get that deen. And I'll show you how this works afterwards come back and start teaching so you have homegrown scholars that are teaching this they all speak English right they're all British in that sense right and that's the way you make that change when it's all indigenous it makes th that that makes a big difference right that makes a massive difference and this is what I tell communities all around the world that you're gonna have to do this you can rely on 
bringing people in only for so long. They just make it more complicated. You've just seen how spousal visas now you need to make double the salary, right? To bring anybody in. Uh, that's, what uh, that's what they've just uh, put in as a law or something. So you have to take those things into consideration. So it's very humbling to be sitting here in such an auspicious gathering, right? Despite not being worthy of this gathering to conduct this final class and uh, we, we uh, many, many teachers, there's Mufti Akhtar sub teach, uh, sitting there and a number of others, they would teach these classes throughout the year. This just is a blessed time because it's the last lesson in completion of this book. And uh, it's just experience. It's an experience from many, many ulama that when Bukhari Sharif is completed, du'as are accepted. Don't go back after and say, I made 10 du'as and they weren't accepted. But this has been the experience. But for du'as to be accepted, it needs to be a number of... Uh, it's, not a, it's not a magical moment in that sense, though it is a magical moment in the other sense. right? But uh, this is a good opportune moment for du'as to be accepted as well, inshallah, when the du'a will be done, when, when the hadith is, uh, is completed. Now, what I want to speak about, there's two parts of this, uh, of this next hour, there's two parts of it. One is just some general... Uh, points that I want to share with us all and the, especially with the students both the students who are graduating the graduating class and also the other students who are already studying and the potential students who are listening today right or potential parents of students right now one the first thing that we have to understand is that th that's the first thing I'm going to discuss the second thing I'm going to discuss is inshallah the, the final hadith itself of Sahih al-Bukhari so we can complete it and then inshallah we can complete the gathering. So the first thing that I want to uh, mention is that alhamdulillah, one of the other unique opportunities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given in this country, which is only now picking up in India and Pakistan, Bangladesh, even though this is where we receive the tradition from. We receive this tradition through the subcontinent. It's because of the efforts of our earlier generations of scholars, our akabir, our elders, our predecessors, my, our grand teachers, that we have it here today. But there's something that was, you can say, innovated. It happened, of course, with the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this country, which is now picking up in those countries. And it's a very beautiful thing. What it is, is that it may, a lot of the time in the subcontinent, it was one or the other. You either went into secular education and became doctor sub, or engineer sub, or architect sub, or whatever it is. Or you became malana sub, okay, malwi sub. And there was a stereotype that went with all of this in certain places. Not everywhere, but in certain places. I remember once I was sitting in the West End and there was a special session going on down there for a lot of the educated crowd and when we explained the several years of study that we have to go through and the intricacies and the complication and the elaborate studies we have to go through one of the guys stood up he said this is the first time I'm understanding what a Mori Sab is really he thought Maulwi Sahib is the guy who holds a stick in the masjid. He has a big beard, holds a stick in the masjid, beats little kids up and, you know, uh, waiting for handouts or something. I don't know. The community makes that. That's not the Maulwi Sahib's issue. It's the community who makes that. The community in England has done it differently. Alhamdulillah. He found out then what kind of a grueling 
schedule, syllabus, years of study, does a good Mawlana have to go through? And you can ask these girls, if you have access, you can ask them what they went through. You can ask them with the other ulama what they went through. So it's not something that's very easy. It's not something that's very, very easy. But then, of course, it brings about responsibility. So let us uh, begin with uh, the first part of our discussion. So why women? I would say, and I'm going to put a claim out there, is that we have more alimas today than we've ever had in history. That's my claim. We have more alimas today in the Muslim world than we've ever had in history. Anybody disagree with that? The reason is that at least in the subcontinent, you never had en masse women's or girls' madrasas the way we have them now. Women usually didn't study. Some men studied and we had ulama. Somebody had to lead the Muslim community for us to be Muslim today. There's no doubt about that. But women didn't educate themselves. They didn't go to university. 50 years ago, which women went to university in the Muslim community? 30 years ago even. Now when I go to university, there's, mashallah, there's half or slightly more of the crowd that I speak to is usually Muslim women, Muslim girls, as opposed to Muslim boys. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I'm not, that's not what I'm here to discuss. But everybody's getting into education. We also have feminism, which has come and uh, done its, uh, created a lot of havoc and chaos and uh, has been dealt several blows, but it still lives, it's still, it's still out there, feminism. Uh, and a lot of the time these uh, feminists, they don't want to hear from Muslim men or men in, because a lot of, not every feminist, but many feminists don't like men. They think they can suffice as a race, as just women, as some, as some, they don't all agree with that. So it's really important today to actually have women who study and who, who are graduates and who understand the deen and who can explain the deen. It's just easier for a woman to hear it from a woman in many cases, especially in the modern world. So that's why it's really good we have alimas. I'll give you another example. Women have menstruation issues which is unique to women and not men. Men don't have those issues. But there were hardly any women who knew the masail and the rulings of menstruation. They would all have to come to men, male muftis, to ask that question. It's quite embarrassing, to be honest. That's why a lot of women don't even bother asking. They just do what they think is right. Or they just do whatever it is. There was a huge ignorance about this. So over 10 years ago, we started to teach women. I started with my wife and then another seven women and then it went to 70 or 80 women and now we've taught literally over about 1500 or 2000 women this course. They've taken a master in menstruation course such that we have a few hundred around the world women who have mastered the masail could say to a certain degree that they are actually muftis in menstruation only. Understand? So they can answer questions. No longer do they have to come to me. If anybody comes to me, I say, please go to them. It'll be easier for you. So this is just empowering women in the right way because women do have to be empowered. Right? And do have to be. And the Muslims need to take feminism and guide it in the right direction. Otherwise, it becomes an antithesis to Islam. So 
the importance of attaining knowledge for any community is very important. The more money we have in this community, the more money masail, money issues, money matters, money rulings need to be understood. Otherwise, people don't know. The more money we have, zakat. And mashallah, we have lots of uh, zakat workshops now. But there's not enough how to manage money. What is halal and haram? There's not enough, those, enough of those classes yet. These are, as I said, as a community, we need all of these classes. We have hajj classes because people go for hajj. We have fasting because it's Ramadan. We have purity classes because people need to know the masail of tahara and salat and so on. So with everything else, we need to know these things. We have teenage classes because teenage have challenges. Teenagers have challenges. So likewise, it's very similar to that. But now, alhamdulillah, this is the first batch that is, uh, this is the first cohort of students who are graduating this year for the first time in Seven Kings, mashallah. And uh, some people might want to say that Muslims have been here for a very, very long time in this community. I don't know how long it's been. This is their first batch. You might want to look at it negatively like that. If you want to, I don't look at it negatively. It's never too late. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It has happened. And inshallah, now many more will happen. Because there'll be people sitting here now who will want their children to take part in this. And inshallah, to honor their families and the Muslim community to take part in this tomorrow as well. And mashallah, in this class, it's amazing class because you've got age, various ages, all the way up to over 50 and down to 17, 18 college students and so on. You've also got a healthy mixture of Gujaratis and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis that I hope I haven't met. I, I hope I haven't missed anybody. Right. So it's a really nice mix. And that was really good to, to teach uh, such a class with such a mix, mashallah. Some are professionals who are actually working in the professional field. Some are studying. Some are mothers. Uh, and some are married. And some are single. And mashallah, that was a really nice. That just shows that ilm is accessible to everybody. Now, I want to speak quickly to the graduates. Uh, so, our dear graduates, 16 graduates, mashallah. What I want to mention to you is that how you reached here, you may be wondering today. If I look back, I don't know how many years ago, it was uh, at least 20 years ago. Uh, 1996, so that's about 25 years ago, I think, or more, 27, 26 years ago, when I graduated, sitting in that hall when the Bukhari was going to be completed, it was a very, very amazing feeling. It was a very unique feeling, you, which you'll never have again, because you, you graduate once like this, right? And you, you think of your past years. Some people may be thinking that I didn't really want to do this. I don't know how I got here, right? Genuinely, I believe there will be some people who will be thinking that. There may have been forced or maybe let's say politely maybe been very strongly encouraged and their parents would have, you know would not accept a no no you must go to alima classes so they went through the system some had worked very hard and some may have not worked so hard some were waiting for this day that how long is this going to take and then finally i'm going to get there there's different emotions some will be weeping very emotional very uh, it's a very emotional moment for a lot of people. They'll be glad, they'll be crying, exhilarated and happy. A cry of happiness. However, this is just a milestone in life. And there's a lot more to life. There's a lot more that we have to achieve in life. Now, however you got here, whether you were strongly encouraged, pressured, came at your own will, uh, really in, 
really, really worked very hard and enjoyed it or whatever the case is, now people are going to call you a alima whether you like it or not. And what that does to a lot of people is that it makes them a lot more self-conscious. I have to be careful how I dress and carry myself. I have to be very careful how I speak to people. It's, uh, I have to be very careful how I respond to people. People are going to come and ask me. Literally, what it says in certain books that ulama should wear turbans for men, male ulama. They should wear turbans and, and garments so that they can be recognized so people can ask them questions. Because why else did you become an alim if you don't want to help people? And it's quite interesting that uh, many ulama would have experienced this, that they go to other countries, like when you go to the haram for umrah or hajj, and you're in Masjid al-Nabawi, Arabs will come up to some of our Asian ulama, they don't look like ulama necessarily, right? They don't have an extra big turban. It's like, can I ask you a question, please? Even though, you know, when you go for umrah, everybody uh, wears a traditional dress there, usually, right? Everybody wears traditional dress. It's just something on the face that they recognize them from. That's God-given anyway, right? So we're there to answer questions, we're there to help people. But the way we can become more successful at that is that if we are carrying ourselves well enough. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability, every single one of our students, to carry themselves in a way that is befitting a scholar, befitting somebody who has the deen in their hearts. So however you got here now, I know ulama who did not want to study, Somebody encouraged them, pushed them along, and they did it, and now they've become very successful ulama, benefiting thousands of people. They never wanted to do this. I know somebody who wanted to be an architect, I know somebody else wanted to be a gangster, literally, and he's a good qari now, and people are, mashallah, inspired by him. That's not qari adil I'm talking about, right? Um, I know of many people, because you know, we've had this opportunity to see people before they started, and now they finished. And subhanallah, now that Allah is using them, that means that if you have been pushed along, somehow carried along, and now you're here today on this day, Allah has a plan for you. Don't be ungrateful to Allah. Oh students, talibat, don't be ungrateful to Allah. Do something, carry on this knowledge. This knowledge only came to you because your teachers took it from someone else and carried it on and agreed to teach and do something with it. They could have... There's a scholar that there is a graduate of our madrasa that I met recently who was a top, very talented scholar, but then he disappeared. For 20 years he's disappeared. Didn't see him doing anything. And alhamdulillah, I managed to meet him recently. Don't disappear in the woodwork. Go and do something. When I say don't disappear, I don't mean that you have to get onto TikTok or you have to get onto Instagram. That's not the way of success necessarily. It's a possibility, but it's not the way of success. It means go and take what you have and go and teach. Look around, and we're at the edge of London, right? Although now um, Muslims have kind of extended beyond Ilford now into Dagestan as well, right? You have Romford and Dagestan. No, what is it called? Dagenham. I call it Dagestan, mashallah, right? A more exotic name. So. Don't just try to look for something in Seven Kings Masjid. Seven Kings Masjid can only cater for so many teachers. Go and look for Loughton, Hainault, loads of other areas. Go and find places where nothing's going on. Muslims have moved there. Go and be the pioneer. And then after that, for the rest of this world, 
If you start something off like that there, start a little teaching, set up, madrasa, whatever it is, among the women, among the girls, and then that will just carry on until day of judgment will be gone, and that will give you a reward. That will be your investment. Think in a business, with a business mind regarding this. So that's my, uh, th 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 that's a bit of an advice for our graduates. And Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. So however you got here, Allah has chosen you. That's why you're here among the thousands of other girls that could have been in this course. Thousands of other women that could have been in this course. Allah chose you. So now do something with it and don't be ungrateful for this. Now for the current students. MashaAllah, you, you, will, you will look above you and see that these have graduated and you'll be thinking about your own time that where, when you will graduate. You need to work hard. I've spoken to some teachers and what I'm being told is that uh, this new generation, I don't, know what, I don't know what letter that generation is now. Uh, they keep changing X, Y, Z. I don't know what, what, uh, which one it is. But the current generation is a very lazy generation, they say. What I mean by lazy, if that's the right word, that they entertain themselves on TikTok all day. That's their pastime. TikTok, Instagram, and so on. And number two, whenever something is slightly more difficult, they don't want to do it. If something proves to be a bit more complicated, no, no. In fact, uh, subhanAllah, I'm saying this humorously. Some of the girls said to one teacher, uh, don't teach too much because we'll have more in exam to learn then. Allahu Akbar. We used to tell our teachers, teach more, because we've only got a certain number of years with the teachers. So let's complete more of them. These are big books, big tafsirs, big hadith book. And you can't always complete them easily. We used to like say, no, teach us a bit more, go over time so that we can complete it. Exam, we'll see when, we have, when, when, the, when they come around, we'll see it. But no, these ones say, teach less so that we don't have to prepare too much for exam. Subhanallah. Don't. Study for exams, study for yourself. And when exams come around, use exams as just a time to refresh, revise, consolidate. We run White Thread Institute and I tell the students all the time, we know how good each one of you are. We don't need to test you. If you're a good teacher, you know the capability of your students. But the benefit of exams is that it gives you an opportunity to look through everything again, revise it, refresh it, and consolidate it so that the next part can be easier. That's the purpose of the exam. That's the way I look at it. So don't focus on exams. Focus on the study, developing your akhlaq, character, understanding, belief system, perspective. That's what you should be doing. That's very, very important. Just thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what He's given you, that He's chosen you. And once you complete, you may never have a time to go back and refresh it. So do the best that you can. Right. Now let's move on to the next part of this uh, uh, discussion, which is the actual hadith. So what usually happens for those who it's the first time for is that this is called khatm bukhari which means the completion of Bukhari. Bukhari is just one of the several books that they study in the last year. Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, Nasai, Ibn Majah, etc. But because Bukhari is the number one most authentic book after the Qur'an, according to the Muslim scholars in the Muslim Ummah, that one has that special position. But remember, they're all filled with hadith. So they all have the same level in that sense, except that Bukhari, 
the reason why Bukhari's push forward is because they say it is the most authentic, it has no da'if or weak narrations. Muslim doesn't either, but Bukhari is the teacher of, of the author of Muslim Ibn al-Hajjaj al-Kushayri. Imam Abu Ismail al-Bukhari is the teacher of Imam Muslim. He's ahead. His book is seen as greater. But there are differences between the books. This is the last hadith. They leave it for a program for everybody. And that's why, mashallah, you get uh, the honor. We all get the honor of joining in. So I'm going to start with uh, another hadith. The hadith I'm going to start with is a hadith which is uh, in Arabic called Musalsal bil Awaliya, which essentially means that for many, many, many generations and uh, for many generations, this was the first hadith that hadith scholars used to relate first before any other hadith. And I can say this is the first hadith that I heard from my teacher and he can say that about his teacher and so on up to a certain narrator after the Prophet ﷺ within a few generations. So it's a continuous narration as being the first narration that a hadith class would hear. And mashallah, you'll get to hear that as well. So, وَبِالْإِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ سُفْيَانِ بْنِ عُيَيْنَةِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ Up to him, from, he, he is the one, the first one to say this hadith first. And then from after him, every one of his students and grand students and so on until today, right? They used to say this hadith first. It's a very interesting hadith. Qala, he relates from Amr ibn Dinar. He relates from Abu Qabus. Abu Qabus was his teacher. He relates from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Asr anhu, who says that the Prophet said, so this is the hadith now, الراحمون يرحمهم الرحمن ارحموا من في الأرض يرحمكم أو يرحمكم من في السماء This is the hadith he heard first. This is the first hadith I heard from most of my teachers, if not all of them, first. Which is, those who show mercy and compassion to people, who those who are merciful by heart, the most merciful and compassionate one, which is Allah will have mercy on them. Have mercy on others, Allah will have mercy on you, essentially. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, have mercy on those on the earth, and those in the heavens will have mercy on you. The angels will pray for your mercy, and of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shower his mercies on you as well. That's the first hadith, alhamdulillah, now we can relate any other hadith to you. It's not obligatory, it's just a wonderful tradition that, uh, that we have in this regard. Now, how do I narrate this hadith? I've never done this before, I don't think. But how do I narrate this? Just to give you an idea of how this works. You know this hadith science, it's a very, very exacting science. You have to be very careful with it because our deen is contained in the hadith. With the Quran, we know the Quran has been preserved for over 1400 years. Not a single word or anything has changed. Uh, that, that's quite free from any kind of possibility of alteration. When it comes to hadith though, uh, some corruption did come into it. People tried to say the Prophet said this or that about their group, about, their, about a certain food they liked or whatever. They just made up something. So the Hadith scholars had to come up with a foolproof system to show that whether this Hadith was really from the Prophet or somebody had made it up. So what they would do is they would check every name. Say, okay, if you're relating to this Hadith, tell me who you heard it from. You say you heard it from so-and-so. 
and he heard it, you better know who you, all the way up to the Prophet ﷺ, 10 names, 5 names, 7 names, depending on where you, when you were. They would scrutinize these individuals and say, have they ever made a mistake? Have they ever forgotten something? Have they ever known to make up something? If they are, they get, they get rejected. That hadith becomes rejected. Very, very solid system that is actually being admired by many non-Muslim academics when they see the system that it's a, such an amazing system because hadith initially uh, were uh, related orally rather than written down from the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So that's why it's a wonderful system. So now I can say that any hadith that I relate from these multiple books, I can give you an exact chain up to the author of that book. Then the author will have his own chain up to the Prophet ﷺ. So I'll just give you one simple example. This hadith that I'm going to relate to you as the last hadith of Bukhari, I relate this to you from a chain. I heard this hadith from multiple people, but I've heard this hadith I will relate from Shaykh Yusuf Mutala rahimahullah. I studied this from him, from his mouth. He studied this and heard this directly from Sheikh Zakaria Kandelwi. Rahimahullah. Sheikh Zakaria got it from his father, he got it from multiple sources. One of them was from his father, Muhammad Yahya Kandelwi, Sheikh Muhammad Yahya Kandelwi. And from he got it from Sheikh Rashid Ahmad Gangohi. Rahimahullah. He got it from Shah Abdul Ghani Mujaddidi. Rahimahullah. He heard it from his father, Shah Abu Sa'id al-Mujaddidi. He heard and from Shah Muhammad Ishaq Dehlawi. Both of them heard it from Shah Abdul Aziz al-Dehlawi, who narrates it from Shah Waliullah al-Dehlawi, who narrates it from Abu Tahir al-Kurdi al-Madani, from his father Ibrahim al-Hassan al-Kurdi, from Abdullah ibn Mullah Sa'dillah Lahori, from Qutbuddin Muhammad ibn Ahmad al-Nahrawali, from Alauddin Ahmad ibn Muhammad al-Nahrawali. He relates it from Nuruddin Abu al-Futu Ahmad ibn Abdullah. He relates it from Muhammad Yusuf al-Hirawi. He relates it from Muhammad ibn Shah's Bakht al-Farghani. He relates it from Abu Luqman Yahya ibn Ammar ibn Muqbil al-Hatlani. He relates it from Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Firabri. And he relates it from Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari rahimahullah. A direct chain up to Imam Bukhari. Then I will relate to you who Imam Bukhari relates it from up to the Prophet How many others have this system in the world? That's why this is no simple system. This is a very, very valuable system. It's a very valuable system. Now, when you've heard this hadith, you can say you heard it from me and, and attach yourself to the chain if I give you permission. That's how it usually happens. You ask for permission, say, can I relate this? Uh, can I receive this chain officially from you? And the, and the Shaykh will say, I give it to you and you say, I accept. That's how it usually happens. So now, let us now relate from what does Imam Bukhari relate in his last hadith. So, وَبِالْإِسْنَادِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنَّا إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِ قَالْ بَابُ قَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَنَضَعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْطَ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَأَنَّ الْأَعْمَالَ بَنِي آدَمَ وَقَوْلَهُمْ يُوزًا that's his chapter title. This is what Imam Bukhari says in his book. And this is what I'm relating all the way up to Imam Bukhari. And I'll relate his uh, leftover part of the chain to you soon. وَقَالَ مُجَاهِدَ الْقُسْطَاسَ الْعَدْلُ بِالْرُومِيَّةِ وَيُقَالُ الْقِسْطْ مَصْدَرُ الْمُقْسِطْ وَهُوَ الْعَادِلْ وَأَمَّ الْقَاسِطْ فَهُوَ الْجَائِرِ Now, Imam Bukhari says, I heard this hadith. Was, it was narrated to us from Ahmed ibn Ishkab. You know this Ahmad ibn Ishkab, I envy him. 
Every Khatm al-Bukhari he's mentioned. Ishkab. This Ahmad ibn Ishkab. Everybody talks about him every year multiple times. I don't know what he did to get himself in this hall of fame. Allah bless him and give us some kind of investment like that as well. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Fudayl. So he relates it from now Muhammad ibn Fudayl. Rahimahullah. He relates it from Umara ibn al-Qaqqar. He relates it from Abu Zur'ah. He relates him from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. You've heard of him. Imam Bukhari's chain up to Abu Huraira. Now Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said and he relates the hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Can you see how we're connected to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam now? That's amazing. وبه قال حدثني أحمد بن إشكاب قال حدثنا محمد بن فضيل عمارة بن القعقاء عن ابي زرعة عن ابي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم and then he mentions the hadith so I'm going to wait to mention the hadith keep you in suspense a bit let's just discuss a few other things here this hadith has been mentioned it's a very famous narration which essentially speaks about the Prophet is saying that there are two words, two formulas, two statements, two phrases, right? Which are extremely beloved to the most merciful one. Very beloved. But they're very easy to say on the tongue. They're very light on the tongue. You can just slip them off very, very easily. But they're going to be very, very heavy in the scale. We believe in the scale on the Day of Judgment. They're going to be very heavy in there that if you have these, then mashallah, it doesn't matter how many bad deeds you have, these would be very heavy to counter the bad deeds that we have because remember, there's going to be a scale system. And what are these? Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. That's it. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. That's what it is, mashallah. So this hadith is mentioned last, but it's mentioned at least four times in the whole book. So this is not the only time it's mentioned. It's mentioned at other times in slightly different variations of the chain. It's a different chain. It wasn't just attained through that chain I read to you, but through other chains as well. I'm not going to tell you, uh, I'm not going to go into that. Now, what does that mean? Subhanallah wa bihamdih, subhanallah al-azim. What it means is, I extol the glory of Allah just as I praise Him. So I am expressing the glory of Allah while I praise Him. What does glory and praise mean? You can only say that somebody is entitled to glory if they are blameless, if they are faultless, if they have no defects. Allah has no defects. He has no weaknesses. He has no faults. He has no shortcomings. That's why He is, we say, that's what we mean when we say subhanallah. That's why subhanallah comes first. You want to put perfume on somebody who smells. You're going to tell him to go for a shower first and put nice clothes on. Or you're going to just tell him to change his clothes. You're going to get them to have a shower first. You purify them first. And you say, look, let's get rid of all of the dirt. Then we're going to em embellish you, adorn you. So alhamdulillah is seen as an adornment because we're saying all praise is to Allah. He deserves all praise. Every good quality, every good point there is out there, he deserves it. But first, we, we say that there is no bad to do with Allah. I extol his glory. He can only be glorified and pure 
and then I praise him. So I'm doing both of these together. Subhanallahi wa bihamdi. That's what subhanallah means. Subhanallahi wa bihamdi. That I am saying that he's pure while I praise him to say he deserves every goodness and virtue there is out there. Now, this chapter, this last chapter that this hadith forms, the last hadith of, is called Kitab al-Tawheed. The chapter of declaring the oneness of Allah. You know, we say the, the word Tawheed. What does the word Tawheed mean, by the way? For those who understand Arabic. What does the word Tawheed mean? Somebody tell me. Or even those who don't understand. What does Tawheed mean? Some, I'm hearing multiple people saying it means the oneness of Allah. It doesn't. So what Tawheed means? It means to declare the oneness of Allah. It doesn't mean the oneness of Allah. Ahadiyyah. Wahidiyyah. That means oneness. Allah is one whether you or I like it or not. Whether we say it or not, He's one. So, what a Tawheed actually means to declare His oneness. In Arabic we say, Wahidu. Declare Allah's oneness. It says, La ilaha illallah. There was a story that was uh, a friend of mine from Syria told me once. He said that he was, uh, not him, he said that there were some very poor Muslims and Christian missionaries, what they do, uh, we've seen this in Africa, in Malawi and other countries that they go there, start hospitals, food banks and so on and they give them a lot and then they tell them about Jesus and how Jesus is, uh, alayhi salam, uh, so wonderful and all of this is coming from Jesus and it doesn't come from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and so on and so forth. And when, problem with poverty is that it's a very vulnerable time and the Prophet himself said that sometimes poverty can lead to disbelief because you don't know how to deal with uh, the allotment of God of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so something similar happened in some Arabian community and uh, it says that they would come they would eat but then they would have to attend a seminar regarding Christianity so in this seminar they would all kind of you know kari kijri kaine you know, uh, eating a lot of rice, they, or I don't know what they used to feed them, they used to all be like half dead, half sleeping in that. So they were complaining. Uh, the the, the tizers, you know, they, which means those who give da'wah towards Christianity, they were complaining about this, that it's not working on these, how are you going to teach them Christianity? They sleep in the lessons, right? So there was a, a Muslim Arab sitting there, he said, no, no, I'll show you whether these guys are listening or not. Right, whether they're half dead or whether they're listening or not. So in the middle of the lesson, he suddenly said to everybody, he got up and he said, Wahidullah, like Nare Takbir. And he said, La ilaha illallah. They all got up and said, La ilaha illallah. They were just having them on. They were eating the food and mashallah, you know, they were doing muraqabah during the lessons. They were doing meditation during the lessons. Uh, but I mean, it doesn't always happen like that. Unfortunately, there are people who, uh, who change. And mashallah, a lot of our South Africans, uh, they're doing a lot of work there. And uh, we, we need to also help uh, the, the, you know, the places. Uh, we, we go and help a lot of far off places, but one of the places we should be looking is closer to home, and that's in the Balkans. I want to use this opportunity to mention that you know, we do focus on you know, many African countries and other far off countries, but we need to focus on even closer to home, and the Balkans need a lot of help. For example, Montenegro, 20% to 25% Muslim, but after being Muslim for 300 years, they've been, subhanAllah, massive secularization program. Only now it's coming back, but they need a lot more help and they're not very wealthy. They need a lot of assistance. Kosovo is another place. Right? These are places that need a lot of help. It's much closer to home. 
to do da'wah and so on. May Allah subhanahu MashaAllah, our relief organizers are doing a lot of work in Albania and some in Bosnia and other places, but these few other areas have been left, uh, have been left alone and uh, a lot more work needs to be done. So, this hadith, Subhanallahi wa bihamdi, Subhanallahi al-Azim, has been placed in the chapter of Tawheed. And uh, some versions of this kitab, this might get a bit technical for you, so I'm going to quickly do this, it's for the students. Uh, some versions of the book, some editions of the book, instead of calling it Kitab al-Tawheed, it's Kitab al-Raddi al-Jahmiyyah wa ghayrihim al-Tawheed. This is a book on the rejection of the sectarian group called the Jahmiyyah and others and how they rejected Tawheed. So this is a response to them. Because in this last chapter, if you notice all the chapter headings and the hadith therein are a rejection of the Mu'tazilites, which was a heretic group of the past. Right, some ultra-rationalists they were and they had distorted many ideas of Islam. So it's a rejection of them. The word Mawazin is in the plural. Mizan is singular. Mawazin is the plural. Uh, what kind of a Mizan are we talking about? The, it discusses that there will be a scale on the Day of Judgment. What kind of scale are we talking about? So uh, our ulama believe that this will be a physical scale of some sort. But what it will look like, I don't know. Will it be those scales that you know, we used to have before and still have in certain markets where you have two pans and then you have the kilogram and 500 gram um, heavy you know, little weights and then you count to measure it or do you have it electronic ones or would it be that you just shine something at it and it just tells you how much it is, some really smart scales. I think it's going to be a really smart scale personally. right? That, because how is a scale going to measure billions and billions and billions of people's actions and deeds. So I think that it's going to be able to tell exactly whose deed it is and it'll just measure it and tell you exactly how much it is. Allah knows best. But it is some kind of physical scale. That's what our ulama say. It's not a metaphor necessarily. It's not figurative. It is, it is a physical scale. There is a hadith in uh, Imam Hakim's Mustadrak where he says that the pan of that scale is so large that it can encompass the heavens and the earth. It's going to weigh everybody's deeds. Um, that makes complete sense that everybody puts their deeds in there at one go and it knows exactly there's a sensor for each person's deeds and it weighs each person's deeds even though 20 people's deeds or 1,000 people's deeds are put on there at once. Allah knows best. We leave that to Allah. We're not going to get into that too much because what's the point? Let's focus on getting it heavy anyway. That's the first thing. What is going to be weighed? What exactly is going to be weighed now? How, you, how do you measure somebody's deeds? If you've done some good acts, what do we weigh? Okay, if you've given a thousand pounds in Lilla, okay, maybe we'll weigh the money, but now you do a bank transfer. How are you going to weigh that? So some ulama say that the person is weighed and the person becomes heavier by the good deeds he does. So the person is going to be weighed. Another opinion is that the deeds themselves, which means the book of deeds, so you know we have the right and left, the book of deeds, the hard drive that is being constantly written. Just like everything we do on the phone, Google is keeping account of it, or Apple is, right? So, Kiram and Katibin, they are uh, keeping a record. By the way, just quickly, uh, which one is Kiram and which one is Katibin? You know the angels that write, which one is Kiram and which one is Katibin? Is there a third one as well? Okay, so which one is Kiraman? the one on the right or the one on the left? The one on the right is Kiraman. And the one on the left is Katibin. Oh, that's really cool. I think they're quite offended. Because Kiraman means noble. It's the plural of Kareem. 
many noble ones. And Katibin means the writers. They're both noble and writers, so this is the name of both of them. He's not Kiraman and Katibin. They're both Kiraman and Katibin. Please seek forgiveness. <laughs> but mashallah, brave enough. Uncle is brave enough to say it. Nobody else said it. Alhamdulillah. Right. Kiram and Katibin. They're both Kiram. They're noble writers. That's what they're called. They're noble writers. They're recording everything. Right? They're recording absolutely everything. So that book of deeds, whatever it's going to look like, the hard drive, thumb drive, whatever it looks like, I have no idea. It's going to be weight. How it's going to be weight, I don't know. Put into a machine and it's going to be weight. Wallahu a'lam. The third option is that the deeds themselves will be weighed. They'll all have some kind of value. Each deed we do, good or bad, has a value, a weight value. And Allah will measure that. And we leave that. You know, there's that uh, famous hadith of the bitaqa, where the, one person is really in a lot of trouble. He thinks he's in the wrong trouble. And finally, he finds a small piece of paper on which is written, La ilaha illallah. That he said it once and he puts that in the scale. And mashallah, it just outweighs everything. Don't rely on that. That, yeah, I know I've said illa ilaha illallah and sort everything out. I can do as many bad deeds as I want. It's not the point. But that shows that the value of deeds, even a small deed, they're very, very valuable. Now, based on that, if anybody is finding that strange, I just want to mention a few things today in our modern world that has actually gone to show that a lot of this stuff, which may have been looked on as very strange, is an absolute reality now. For example, the Prophet ﷺ was once in the masjid giving a khutbah and he had made a mimbar, he had made a pulpit just recently. Before that, there was a pillar that he used to hold on to, a wooden pillar that he used to hold on to. And when that pulpit was made, he stopped holding on to that, he went there. The next time he started the khutbah not holding it, he started to cry. This wasn't something only the Prophet ﷺ witnessed. Everybody witnessed a crying sound from that pillar. Everybody witnessed it. Now, what are you going to say? Today, is that possible or not? You can have smart pillars, just put a little speaker in there. You can do that, right? You can put a little speaker in there and let it start crying. It's become a reality. There was no technology in those days. Another hadith. Umar time, he's giving a bayan, whether it's a khutbah or a bayan, you must imagine. So imagine I'm speaking to you, and then suddenly, I go like this, and I say, you know what, just watch out, just watch out, yeah, yeah, go to the left, just watch out to the left. You think, what would you think I'm doing? You think I'm some kind of agent, you know, FBI agent or something, telling somebody something? Yeah, yeah, he's sitting there on the right, he's sitting there on the right. You understand what I'm saying? Because I might have a little earpiece with a microphone. You, you have, uh, now you have earpieces now, but before you had all these women with, with phones stuck in their hijab as they're walking down. Right? Uh, 15 years ago, if you saw somebody walking alone and speaking, you'd think, right? Now, you literally see Bill and you realize he's probably got an earpiece. Earpiece is there and he's speaking and he's holding a conversation. He can't hear anything else, in fact, because it's sound cancelling as well. Now, think of that. Umar is giving a khutbah. Suddenly, in the middle of the khutbah, he, he says, Sariya, Sariya, the mountain, watch the mountain. Sariya is not around here. They all knew Sariya was on an expedition. 
hundreds of miles away and he starts talking to Saria. There's no microphone, there's no telecommunication in those days. He starts talking to him. Now when Saria came back after a few weeks or months, they asked him, he says, yes, we were there fighting with the enemy and we, weren't, we hadn't taken precaution. Uh, we thought that was safe. The mountain pass was safe. Suddenly I heard Umar Allah's voice in my ear telling me to look at the mountain area that there may be something coming from and truly enough there was enemies behind there. Umar got inspired somehow and he spoke and it got there. Everybody witnessed it. This isn't something Umar told everybody. They witnessed this miracle. Today, it's easy to do. Umar could have a screen in his glasses where he's watching an aerial view on the drone. And suddenly he tells like, he's giving the bayonet and he says, Ahmed, Ahmed, watch the left side. And Yusuf, check your right side. And you're like, what is he talking about? But you're thinking I'm a bit crazy. Once I went to a program in Norway. Now the guy's a friend of mine. He was the MC of the program. He invited me and Sheikh Ahmed Ali. We're sitting in the auditorium. And he just starts the introduction. You know, like Monona just started the introduction. He started the introduction. He got a phone call. So he took the phone call. He disturbed, you know, in the middle of the introduction. He took, yes, yes, brother. Okay, no problem, whatever. We, we were just cracking up like, he's a wonderful brother. Allah bless him. You understand what I'm saying? All of these things are becoming a reality. The Prophet ﷺ went on Mi'raj. Right? Uh, you hear the story of Mi'raj. Going from here up to the seventh heaven, meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People have gone to the moon and, you know, into space and other places. But the Prophet went where nobody had gone. And people make fun of Muslims. There's a, a reporter who's a Muslim. And literally in front of everybody, they were making fun of him. That, Do you really believe that your Prophet went on this creature, on this beast, you know, up to the heavens? said, yes, I do believe that. Today, that's uh, within the realm of possibilities. When it happened, nobody could go anyway. You couldn't go from Makkah Mukarramah to Syria, uh, sorry, to, to Jerusalem in those days, except in several days it would take. The person went in one night, they couldn't believe it. Today, you could do it. I went once from Medina Munawwara in a bus to, to Jordan and from there to Jerusalem. It takes about 15, 16 hours. That's in a bus. Could have gone much faster if it's in a car. In a helicopter, it'd be much faster. In a flight, it'd be two hours, one hour. And come back. There, when it happened, all of this is becoming within the realm of possibilities. The details are difficult for us to prove, but it's all within the realm of possibility. You can't say it's impossible anymore. These things are absolutely possible. They may come up with a spacesuit that you just spray on rather than those big spacesuits to go up there and, uh, you know, the Prophet went up there. So that's something to consider. Now, everybody's going to be questioned in the hereafter except 70,000 people. They're going to be given entry into paradise without any questioning. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of them. But I don't think we can just make a little dua and expect to get in there because, you know, we're competing with the likes of Ghazali and Jilani. 70,000 people, that's not really too many people when you have billions of Muslims throughout history. We're competing with them to get into the 70,000. We're going to have to really make an effort. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant, uh, grant us that. Al-Qustas wa al-Adlu bil-Rumiyah. He actually uses a Greek word. Dikastes means to judge. He says the word Qustas in Arabic, Qistas, it actually comes from a Rumiyah word, which I am going to say it's Greek word. Dikastes, if I'm saying that correctly, it means to judge. The word dirham also comes from Greek. There's a lot of Arabic words that come from Greek. 
ويقال والقسط مصدر المقصد وهو العادل وأم القاصد فهو الجائر I'll just quickly go through this It's a really interesting word قاف سين طا If you use it in what the what the students will know in the thulathi the trilateral uh, as just qasata qasata that means a negative idea of being oppressive right but if you use it in the bab if'al it becomes a positive meaning muqsitin those who are just and fair and allah has used it in both of those senses in the quran wa ambal qasituna fakanu li jahannam hataba suratul jin the qasitun, those who are oppressive and others, they're going to be fuel for the fire. And muqsit is in the positive sense, which is used in this, uh, in this hadith, mustar al-muqsit. The Prophet ﷺ said that these are two words, kalimatani habibatani ila rahman Two words which are very, very beloved to the most merciful one, khafifatani ala lisan very, very light on the tongue, thaqilatani fil mizan, but very, very heavy on that scale on the Day of Judgment. Subhanallah wa bihamdih, Subhanallah al-Azim. Right? So everybody can read that once at least, Subhanallah wa bihamdih. Subhanallah al-Azim. Very, very simple. There's various virtues of reading a hundred times in a day, these, and as many times as you can, along with any other dhikr you're doing, just read it as many times as you can. Subhanallah wa bihamdih, Subhanallah al-Azim. Very powerful words. I extol the glory of Allah with His praise, I extol the glory of, the, of Allah, Al-Azim, the mighty and majestic. Allah loves it when you praise Him. So it's a really, really powerful words, powerful statement of, uh, of praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It also goes to show that if there's such small words, if you... Even small, this goes to prove that even small deeds that are for the sake of Allah, that within it encompass the greatness of Allah, that demonstrate and embody within it the greatness and might, might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're beloved to Allah, even if they're small words. Even if they're small words. Small deeds done with glory of Allah in mind are very, very valuable. Allah is not there to look at abundance necessarily, He looks at quality. He looks at quality. That's why the Sahaba giving even a small amount of sadaqah in the path of Allah, a handful of rice, is going to be superior than us giving a whole storehouse, Amazon storehouse, right? Distribution center full of goods in the path of Allah. Why? Why would their one hand of rice, handful of rice be superior? Because the emotion it's coming with, the belief that it's coming with, right? The the feeling that it's coming with is, mashallah, from that iman. So strengthen our iman, that means every deed we do is going to become more valuable. Right? The same namaz that you pray now, you increase your iman and your namaz will become more valuable in the sight of Allah because it'll just be a different namaz, it'll be a different salat. The focus will be different, the emotion, the feeling will be different. We have to, don't just focus on doing more deeds, focus on getting our intention correct and increasing our Iman, right? The only way you increase your Iman is get a better understanding of Allah. And the way to get a better understanding of Allah is by reading the Qur'an with meaning. Make it an effort that before I die, I Qur'an Ramzan right? It's Ramadan is coming to do but at least finish the Quran once with meaning. Get a translation. Allah has sent you an email 
and it's left unopened in your inbox. On the day of judgment, doesn't say, did you read my email? You know what, I did receive it, but I never opened it. I just looked at it. I didn't understand it. And read it, not to give fatwas, read it to benefit yourself and understand Allah. Ya Allah, I want to understand you. I want to know you. The only way you can do that is read the Quran. With meaning, at least once in your life. Start doing it today, please. Get a translation and start doing it. Okay, a few other points that have been mentioned that Imam Muslim starts, sorry, Imam Bukhari starts the book with Kitabul Iman, the chapter on faith, and he ends the book with Kitabul Tawheed, the chapter on declaring the oneness of Allah. Both, he wants to begin and end the book with matters of faith because faith is the most important. He has everything else in between. Another interesting thing is in the beginning, in his first hadith, one of the narrators there, the famous one, is Haddathana al Humaydi. The small praiser of Allah, Humaydi. And it finishes off with Ahmad ibn Ishkab. Ahmad, the greater praiser. So he, and again, I don't know if Imam, Muslim, Imam Bukhari had that in mind, but ulama have found that that's interesting. He starts off with Hamd, ends with Hamd in the name. Very symbolic. Right? You know, people look at symbols of different things. Uh, and they find it all very enigmatic. Well, this is very enigmatic. Starts off with praise, subtly includes it, ends it with praise as well. The hadith about the scale is last, even though it's about iman, because it's to show that before you actually get your full success in the hereafter, you're going to have to go through that test. And you want to get good in this world or the hereafter, you have to go through a test. This is the world is a test. So the final test will be that scale in the hereafter which will be a culmination of this world. Let us do good in this world so that becomes easier. And then of course it ends in tasbih. Now he never, Imam Muslim, Imam Bukhari when he, why do I keep saying Imam Muslim? <laughs> I actually prefer Sahih Muslim more. I find it more interesting than Sahih Bukhari for some reason, but you know, maybe that's why I'm saying it. But um, you know, when you have a gathering, and there's a sunnah dua at the end. Whenever you finish a discussion, finish a session, what should you read at the end? Sunnah dua, what is it? Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Is that right? That's, most tablighi brothers will know this, right? But everybody else should know it, that whenever you have a session, anything, a family gathering, whatever, read that at the end, it's a compensation, it's an expiation. If we said anything wrong in there, you know, a bit off track or whatever, inshallah Allah give us forgiveness and it's an expiation for that. Imam Bukhari did not say anything wrong. Nobody's pointed out anything wrong in his book. But he, it says that he does tasbih at the end as well in following that. He doesn't bring that full hadith there, but he does a tasbih. Subhanallah wa bihamdik. Subhanallah al-Azim. Let me glorify and extol Allah at the end of it as well. Let me finish on those words. Subhanallah. Right? So that could be one of the reasons. There's multiple other reasons as well, which we're not going to go into right now. But what I want to do is I've got a little poem. I've composed a little poem about what we're doing right now and this completion of Sahih al-Bukhari. MashaAllah. Because this is a really emotional time it is, completing Sahih al-Bukhari. 
um, to our sisters, our, our students. Um, I was actually going to give it today, but they were getting these hampers ready for you as gifts. MashaAllah, the uh, Misbah Academy has to be really, really... Um, MashaAllah, you guys are very lucky in Seven Kings that you have this Mufti Sohail Saab. He's a little guy, but he does a lot of work. He's a silent guy, he does a lot of work. Starts this project and that project and get this guy in and get that guy in and networks and... MashaAllah, I, I don't know, I, I don't have time for all of, you know, to do so many things. He does all of this stuff and he just... You know, with the help of all of his team and his wife, mashallah, and uh, the other brothers and sisters who are helping him. I don't, I, you know, please forgive me, I, I can't take all of your names, but Allah bless all of you. You just need that to happen, right? You know, I ask him, I need a right to Blackburn. He finds me Rizwan Bata, mashallah. Yeah, he's cool, man. He just finds all sorts of people for me. He's very, very, Allah Ta'ala bless him and protect him, in, uh, protect him from everything, keep him going for a very, very long time in this world and in the hereafter forever. Right. So this is a major effort, so they're preparing this. So I was actually going to give, uh, because I think the sisters, they've done a lot of work, so I was going to give them a gift. And I thought the best gift that I can give them is my, uh, we just worked very hard on a new book. It's a translation of one of the most uh, wonderful uh, dua collections, right, that every Muslim should be reading, because it's got every dua in there that we need for this world and the hereafter, whether you realize it or not. Even if you take three months to complete it, and then you do it in three months again, that means you've done every dua that you need for the success of this world and the hereafter. For example, he's got a dua in there, Oh Allah, protect me from evil old age. Now when you're young, you're never going to th think about evil old age. But you've already made that dua, so Allah protect us from it. So he's got every such dua, and there are duas in there, so many, that if just one of those duas get accepted, your dunya and akhirat is done. That's how comprehensive they are. So I gave that as a gift, right? And why am I mentioning this? Am I showing off? I'm mentioning this because I want them to read it. I may not get to speak to them because we don't have another class. I may not get to speak. So take that book when you get it. If you haven't received it already, make sure you read it. Every day, even if it's one page you read. You don't have to read like one portion and finish it in seven days. Finish it in two months if you want to, but finish it and keep reading it. Keep reading it and mashallah, that will be wonderful. And that's an encouragement to all of you to have a litany, to have a wirth to have a collection of adhkar and du'as that you do every day. This is how our Muslims in the past have succeeded. And this is how we're going to succeed today, is to connect yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by calling out to Him regularly. Very, very important. So keep that in mind. So my dear sisters, make sure you read that once you get it and encourage others to read any collection of du'a. That one I didn't even mention, it was called The Supreme Daily Remembrance, Al-Hizb Al-A'zam by Mullah Ali Al-Qari, scholar from about 400 years ago, 400-500 years ago. Allah bless him, he did a wonderful job. Prophetic and Quranic du'as along with salawat on the Prophet Okay, now, this is the poem that we're going to end with. The Legacy of Imam Bukhari, that's what it's called. Bismillah. In Bukhara's land where histories tapestry unfurls Imam Bukhari his legacy his cherished pearls from Persian Turkic or roots yet undefined he labored and devoted heart soul and mind we don't know if he was Turkic origin Persian origin we don't know but whatever he was Allah gave him that's the I mean, he was an Arab that's for sure right and that just shows who Allah can give then al jami as sahih his monumental tome Guidance from the heavens, a spiritual home. Accepted by Allah, it, founded its, it found its sacred place. 
in every corner it's recited and embraced today we're doing it in seven kings in london where would imam bukhari ever have thought that from uzbekistan that seven kings in london is going to be completing his book with over a hundred commentaries profound scholars delve deep in its wisdom they found today we gather in a joyous humble quest our du'as ascent in unity we're blessed we gather for this year after year then year after year this noble completion's grace a journey of faith a spiritual embrace to earn the title revered and pure scholarship's pinnacle they must endure you don't become an alim at least not in the subcontinent without reading sahih al-bukhari they've endured all of this they've gone to scholarship's pinnacle Shaykh al-Hadith, a mantle that's well-earned by those who've labored and wisdom discerned in the footsteps of Imam Bukhari they tread, his legacy alive, their souls are fed. In gratitude and reverence we stand tall, for the wisdom passed down we heed the call, with praise and prayer our hearts unite, in the light of Sahih al-Bukhari we find our flight. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from the parents. They've had a lot to play in this, a big role to play in this of these students and their husbands, their children, their family members, and especially their teachers and the organizers and the supporters and the contributors. A wonderful time for it. May Allah reward everybody. May Allah accept this and may Allah make this an occasion, just the beginning of many, many occasions. And may there be many, many of these opportunities. Asru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma al-salam wa minka al-salam tabarakiyat al-jalali wa likram. Allahumma ya hibbi ya qayyum bi rahmatika mustaghif. Allahumma ya hannan ya mannan. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimeen. Jazallahu anna muhammadan ma huwa ahlu. Ya ghaffar, ya fattah, ya sattar, ya hafiz, ya salam, ya latif. يا لطيف يا لطيف يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واهدنا وارزقنا اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اغفر للمسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم والأموات اللهم اللهم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم إنا نسألك تمام العافية ودوام العافية والشكر على العافية رب زدنا علما نافعا ورزقا واسعا وعملا متقبلا وشفاء من كل داء اللهم إنا نعوذ بك من علم لا ينفع وقلب لا يخشع ونفس لا تشبع وعين لا تدمع ودعاء لا يستجاب له يا الله have mercy on us يا الله accept us يا الله accept this gathering يا الله accept these girls أو الله accept these women accept all of their efforts أو الله accept the teachers and their efforts accept the organizers and their efforts أو الله accept the parents and their sacrifices أو الله accept from those who've contributed in any way whatsoever who've supported in any way whatsoever أو الله make this a sadaqa jariya أو الله make this a massive investment with multiple profits and benefits أو الله Oh Allah, let this go far and wide. Oh Allah, let the benefits of this spread far and wide. 
Oh Allah, let it not be restricted. Oh Allah, protect them, protect all of us. Oh Allah, allow this to be accepted. Allow this to be a valuable chain in the chain that we have coming up to the Prophet Oh Allah, allow us to continue this work. Oh Allah, allow us to have in all of our families those who are able to combine between the successes of this world and the successes of the hereafter. Oh Allah, those who are accomplished both in the uh, in the outside world and in the inner world of Islam and oh Allah in the outside world of Islam and in the outside world of the secular studies oh Allah grant us those who are successful and guides and who are treated with respect and who are seen as valuable oh Allah make us of the valuable individuals oh Allah make us truly the valuable individuals in your sight oh Allah there is many talk much discussion of high valued individuals today oh Allah you have given through your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and through this beautiful faith for over 1400 years ago you have given us all the guidance all the points all the principles oh Allah all the ethics all the criteria all the lessons to become highly valued individuals yet we sometimes look at other people look in other places for this and oh Allah oh Allah grant us allow us to go back to our own roots and our own sources and oh Allah oh Allah our own teachings and oh Allah allow us to be that proud ummah oh Allah allow us to be this proud ummah oh Allah forgive us and purify us from all of these years of neglect of heedlessness Oh Allah of negligence, oh Allah of distraction, oh Allah of occupation with other things, of obs obsession with other things. Oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah, we have we have we are guilty of much transgression, we are guilty of sin and violation. Oh Allah, forgive us, only you can forgive us. Oh Allah, only you can forgive us. Oh Allah, those who are completing today, oh Allah, forgive them for all of their shortcomings, for all of the shortcomings during their studies. And surely there were shortcomings. Oh Allah, allow them to rectify this and make this up. And oh Allah, to continue their studies and continue their development, continue their teaching and their learning. Oh Allah, oh Allah, do not let us be misguided to think that now we are graduates, that we know everything now and there's no more to learn. Oh Allah, this is, we know this is only the beginning. Allow us to realize that we thank you for all the tools that you have equipped us with now. Oh Allah, for the rest of our congregation. Oh Allah, allow them to also pursue this path. Oh Allah, allow their children to pursue this path. Allow our children to, produce, uh, to pursue this path. Protect our children from all of the fitna and the distractions. Oh Allah, all of the addictions, all of the fitna which is out there. Oh Allah, this is a major struggle for us. Day by day, the challenges are getting stronger and more intense and more complicated and more elaborate. Oh Allah, assist us in understanding the truth as the truth and the ability, grant us the ability to follow it and show us the, uh, the, the, the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you keep this faith in our progeny until the day of judgment. Oh Allah, do not let any of our children, our descendants deviate from this path that you have given us. Do not cause our hearts to deviate. Oh Allah, do not turn us away from the haqq after you've given it to us. Oh Allah, all the challenges which are taking place today, especially for our brothers and sisters in the various different places, especially those in Sudan, in Pakistan, and in, in, in Palestine and in Gaza. Oh Allah, grant them their relief. Grant them their dignity. Grant them their respect and honor back. Oh Allah, grant them, grant them sabr and patience. Oh Allah, to bear patiently what they are going through and relieve them from it and grant them much better than what they have, what they have lost. Oh Allah, grant them much better what they have lost. Oh Allah, you are the replacer. Oh Allah, you are 
the one in whose hand is everything. Oh Allah, only you can do this. Oh Allah, we call out to you. And oh Allah, we ask you also to allow us to do that which is productive and practical. And do not allow us to be, uh, to, to, to be left to the mischief of what you have given us. Oh Allah, that which you have given us is more than so many others in this world. Oh Allah, you have given us wealth, security, health, access to many facilities. We enjoy, we enjoy facilities of the top 10% of the world's population. Ya Allah, and we still complain to you. Oh Allah, oh Allah, do not make this a fitna for us. Make it a blessing for us. You have given us positions. You have put us uh, in different places. Oh Allah, allow us to fulfill our obligations. Oh Allah, those who sit here today, oh Allah, inspire all of us. Accept all of us for the service of your deen. There are many, many people here who say to themselves, we're only taxi drivers, what can we do for the deen? There are many women who say, we're just housewives, what we, can we do for the deen? Oh Allah, you can accept all of us. You have given us all tasks to assist others, to assist ourselves, to assist your deen. Make us people of principles and people who stand by those principles. Oh Allah, make us strong. Oh Allah, make us, make, make us strong to deal with the challenges. And oh Allah, oh Allah, those who are sick, oh Allah, relieve them. Those who have passed away, in, uh, in sh uh, grant them shahada, especially those in Palestine, grant them shahada. Oh Allah, uh, grant us the ability to prepare for our deaths before our deaths come. Oh Allah, accept all of us for the service of your deen, whatever that may be. Oh Allah, accept the madrasa and accept uh, many other projects that we're all trying to do and remove the, the obstacles in the path of any progress that we want to make. And oh Allah, oh Allah, we want you to designate above us those that care for us, that those who care for the good in this world, those who are not brought out by the various different other motives which are out there, but those who are sincere, have those people rule over us. Oh Allah, make us worthy of this. Make us worthy of this. Make us worthy of this. Oh Allah, we thank you abundantly. Oh Allah, we are grateful to you in abundance for what you have given our community, especially on today, the completion of Sahih al-Bukhari. Oh Allah, may oh Allah reward Imam Bukhari. Reward all of those narrators. Reward all of our teachers. All of our teachers. All of our teachers. All of our mashayikh. All of those who've allowed the deen to come to us here today and make us a continuation of that. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun Wasalamun Al Mursarina Walhamdulillahi Rabbila. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam at least at their basic level so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.